0: Beyond Belief Sobriety is a podcast and community for people who are seeking or who have found a secular path to recovery from addictions of all kinds. Hello, and thank you for taking your time to listen to our podcast. Today, my guest is Matt Gardner. He's a recovery coach and sound therapist from Edmonton, Canada. He's also the host of the Beyond Recovery podcast and recently launched his Recovery Roadmap program that you can learn more about at his website, recoveryroadmap.me. But before we get started, I would like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Soberly. Each and every person in the fight against alcohol addiction has their own reason for recovery. Maybe it's a husband, wife, daughter, son, mom, dad, best friend, colleague, job, hobby, or just yourself. Whatever your reason for recovery, we're all in this together. On Beyond Belief Sobriety, our mission includes building a strong community, staying connected, and working to break the stigma. That's why we've partnered with SoberLink to expand and strengthen our community even further. Soberlink is a remote alcohol monitoring technology created to help provide accountability for people in recovery. The system includes a high-tech breathalyzer device with facial recognition that allows you to share your sobriety in real time with loved ones who can offer support in the event of a slip or relapse. Soberlink has helped hundreds of thousands of people document proof of sobriety in real time to help rebuild trust and foster peace of mind. Soberlink is currently building a strong community of people in recovery. Get inspired and inspire others today by joining the community at soberlink.com slash BBS. And now, Episode 281, My Conversation with Matt Gardner. Matt Gardner is my guest. He is a recovery coach. He is a sound therapist from Edmonton, Canada, He's also the host of the Beyond Recovery podcast, and he's recently launched a program called Recovery Roadmap, um, which has a 30, 90, and 365 day options that you can learn more about at his website, recoveryroadmap.me. So I'm really excited about uh, learning about you and what you're, you've got going on, Matt. Um, one thing I always do here is try to get to know somebody through their recovery story. I wonder if you can start by giving us a little bit of background about yourself and and how you got into recovery and what you think recovery is all about.
1: Absolutely. Great place to start. And again, uh, thank you for the opportunity today. Yeah. So for my, uh, I'll go right back to the beginning. The, the earliest memory that I have with alcohol and uh, what ended up being a fascination with alcohol was a very, very early age. My dad uh, was always a big, uh, big drinker. And uh, on my mom's side, my uncle Paul. So that was my, uh, my mom's brother, a big, big drinker as well. So I remember whenever they would get together, uh, uh, they would just be in the other, you know, the adulting room and five-year-old Matt is hearing this, like everything in that room, all of a sudden was starting louder. The music starts getting louder. They're yelling at each other, but they're laughing too. So they aren't angry. So I was very curious as to what the heck is going on over there. So I would go in and, and it would be the usual, Hey Matt, uh, come over here for a minute. We want you, want you to try something. Right. And have a little bit sip of dad's beer or whatever, harmless. I, well, not, maybe not harmless, but you know what I mean? It wasn't like I was slamming beers at five, but had a little sip and it was enough to get the bitter beer face. And yeah, gross. How do you drink that? And they laugh and they go, oh yeah, one day you'll, <laughs> you know, appreciate the taste of the, <laughs> right. you know, signs of things to come, I guess. Right. Yeah. So, so that was my earliest memories, you know, and, you know add some humor to it. Right. Cause like, it, it, on one hand it's, be viewed as somewhat dark, but on the other hand, it's, it's somewhat comical as well. So it's, which is, uh, you know, recovery, isn't that recovery when you really look at it? So, <laughs> so that, that was my earliest memories, uh, fairly sheltered upbringing up until I turned 13. So, uh, my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, I grew up in a fairly small center with 70,000 people, Prince George, British Columbia, Canada, sort of isolated up, uh, it's like the Northern capital, of the BC. And when I was 13, when my parents divorced, it was a huge, uh, like my world just blew up. I started growing up a lot quicker, uh, you know, and just sort of revealed that there was this uh, background. It just felt like everything, like I'd lived in a, a like a lie growing up essentially. Right. Like I, I kind of knew that my parents fought every, you know, every now and then, and it wasn't a perfect uh, relationship, but every time I'd go to somebody else's house, I saw that, you know, sort of uh, dynamic in, in the, my friend's parents and such as well. Uh, so I didn't think too much about it. And then just to see that it, uh, had been growing behind the scenes and realizing that there had been this discontent was a a shock to my system and, and very hurtful as uh, as one can imagine. And that was right as I was going into high school and high school in my city that I grew up in was grade eight to 12. So, you know, I was in the land of giants when I went there, I hadn't hit my growth spurt till about grade nine or 10. So I was like five foot two, like 80 pounds probably at this point, much bigger now, must say, I'm like just I ended up going up to like five eleven and about one fifty, so I had a big growth spur. But initially in grade eight, there it was like a small kid, stunned, you know, just the home life being what it was, and showing up to high school and just being shy as it was. So as you can imagine, kind of a easy target for bullying. So I exposed was exposed to that early in my high school years. At that time, that I was already feeling a lot of otherwise stress. So you know, I was I was doing sports at the time because that's how I'd grown up, just a lot of physical activity uh but what i found what actually saved me but then also got me into drinking was i pivoted from sports into music so i started playing in a band and it was a great way for me to express these emotions that were coming up in me and more like in my my view of it was a safer more abstract way right so it was kind of like instead of writing a journal i would write a song that kind of had a veil of fiction on it or between it, but it was also me expressing myself. So music and art in general is great for that, in my opinion. So that was great. But then I started, as a result, I grew up in the 90s. So there's like bands like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, uh, you know, and then the 70s rock that my dad grew up in and I also uh, took on. So I'm reading books about Led Zeppelin and just everything is glorified about the rock and roll lifestyle. So I that's what I wanted and that's what I got into. So that's what, where I got into drinking um, you know, I was drinking, I'd say every pretty close to every weekend for uh, the last couple of years of high school, got very much into smoking weed, not quite daily, but pretty close. And honestly, that was my, my exposure to it or what it did for me, quote unquote, or so I thought my perception of what it did for me was got me out of my shell. I thought I'd found, I, t- I was able to tap into the true me, right? How confused I was. But it, what I meant by that is like, I, the shyness seemed to go away. I was able to talk to girls at parties. I was able to go to parties. I was always afraid to, to go to these like social gatherings. Right. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, just, you know, being shy. Right. Um, you know, and I never quite felt like I was belonged to any group. I was sort of one foot in with every group. And I have a suspicion that had to do with the bullying i just i liked to be tried to try to be friendly with everybody every group so like the you know the archetypes of high school the the band kids the nerds the jocks the bad kids i was kind of a chameleon and i was able to sort of fit in with with all groups but never quite feeling like i fit in and again that's what really you know i guess led me to, to the drinking, right. Cause that, that's, that helped me numb out that feeling instead of actually developing it and learning how to, to deal with it uh, properly without the use of a substance. So um, I'm fast forward a little bit. I got to 27 years old. Uh, My, it it spiked up through my early twenties, just like daily drinking. I started crossing some lines. So John, I always had like the, the usual parameters that people put on drinking initially, like I'd only drink on weekends or only after 6 p.m. And then gradually over from 20 to 27, I started like crossing the lines and and, and going through those those barriers and boundaries. Daily drinking, started drinking in the morning sometimes just because why not, right? I'm an adult. I can do what I want, right? So that's when that sort of thing crept in. And I, I realized that's like what my Uncle Paul's behavior was. And I was like, oh, ah, I can kind of see why he does this, you know? And, uh, so anyways, when I was 27, I hospitalized myself for acute pancreatitis, which is uh-huh. incredibly painful and oh, three days goodness. in the hospital.
0: Was the pancreatitis related to your drinking?
1: It was, it was a hundred percent because of the, uh, the drinking. Yes. So yeah, sorry. I should clarify that. Absolutely. It was, um, yeah, coming out of a, a big party weekend and I thought it was just a really, oh, it was a hangover, but it felt different. I definitely felt something inside me that was, um, yeah, there was the cause for concern. It felt different. Right. Um, and we actually were out in a pretty isolated area and luckily we got back to town by the time it fully, you know, found its way into my body. And I was like, okay, something's wrong here. So, um, my girlfriend, uh, dropped me off at the hospital and, you know, spent six hours in the waiting room, just keeled over and them questioning, do I really need to be here? And I totally get it. I understand, you know, there's like people that show up for a cold and everything right so right so i understand that and then finally they had to do all these tests before they could do any pain management on me and you know like the whole you know the um what is it called the the scan of like your the uh, i can't remember what it's called but the um X, not x-ray but something like that where they put some gel on you and kind of okay what's going on in there um you know and uh yeah so three days in the hospital and i i got out and i was like okay the whole time i was just like okay like this is my wake up call. Please just let me get out of here, you know, doing this whole thing. Right. And then within 24 hours of getting out, I had a beer in my hand. Now, the reason for that is I was like the rye drinker. So my addict brain started negotiating and the negotiation was, well, I think it's more rye that did that to you. Now that you're like beer, it's only 5%. You can moderate it a lot easier. You can be a beer drinker now. And I was like, "Hmm, that makes sense. Right. So, so that's what I did. I became a beer drinker. And uh you know by the time I was about thirty, I'd finally just like it was funny though, like thinking back everything in my life was like I was getting promoted at work the band the band I was playing in just got a grant to record a professional album, so all these things were leveling up for me. the universe was gifting me all these things and and i you know, I was a hard worker, uh you know, but i, I it was like functional alcoholism uh you know at its at its you know a fine example of right. And so as a result, I didn't see any issues with it. I was like, you know what? I'm showing up to work. I'm getting promoted at work. You know, I've been playing in three bands or uh, playing around the city. I get like high performing, right. In, in my mind. And so there was no problem. I'm not that guy, you know, in the back, you know, the caricature of the dude with the the bottle in a brown paper bag. That's not me. So I don't have a problem. The denial part. Right. But, you know, by the time I was 30, um, I realized that, you know, I I got myself into a hole that, uh, you know, it was really. I was depressed and uh, having some uh, girlfriend issues, we'll say. And uh, so I ended up uh, put my hand up, and it was the first time I asked for help. And I thought I was going to be. This is a worthwhile part of the story to mention. I I thought everybody was going to be disappointed in me because I was definitely disappointed in myself. And I thought that you know maybe even get fired from my job. It was really challenging for me, and I was very scared at that time. And it was like the exact opposite. Like everybody was super supportive and like saying that i'm being courageous even though that was the exact opposite of how i felt right i'm like courageous what are you talking about i'm like a complete screw up at this point right and it was like it was a really pivotal time for me as you can imagine so i ended up taking five weeks off and the first two weeks of the five it was a big binge right just to get it out of my system and then at that point i was like okay it's now or never i either just continue on this path the the binging or i'm going to actually at least try to change my ways so I ended up going to an AA meeting with a buddy of mine, uh, who had, we had had a falling out. He had gone to NA and AA and, and we'd had to falling out over substances, of course. And so I was kind of our olive branch. I, I say, Hey, can you take me to one of these meetings? He said, of oh, course. And we get there and then we're in the parking lot. And by the time I got to the parking lot, I'm like, Hey, okay. you know, I'm, I got afraid. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I think, you know, the energy of just being near here, I'm cured. I'm good. And Brent, Brent, to his credit, just put his hand on my shoulder. He's like, it's all good. Like, this'll be good. Let's go inside together. And I was like, okay, I'll do this. So we can go in there and it's like the exact opposite. I thought it was just going to be a bunch of like depressing people and all that, but like everybody's high-fiving Brent and hugging them. And it's like this, you know, I was like, wow, okay. Not expecting this. This can be cool. And I'll tell you, as soon as I sat down and the guy, the first guy started reading the opening whatever from the big book, I physically felt um like a weight. It was like somebody was sitting on my shoulders and it just removed and I started tearing up. And there was like a 180 of like spiritual, like a spiritual shift inside of me. And from there, I, I stayed alcohol free for a little over three years, like three years, three months. And uh, you know, another worthwhile part of the story is my this is where my ego started. So I had this like really calming. Time in my life where I really got into like Wayne Dyer and just like how how I can improve self improvement believing in myself, you know, and uh figuring out ways to to live without alcohol, and then my ego started to creep back in and trying to micromanage my recovery and sobriety and alcohol freedness and uh and that's when I decided you know what hmm, everything's going great in my life, perhaps I can add alcohol back in I've learned so much in the last three years, so you know. Uh, what's the harm in having another drink? Certainly I can drink like everybody else now. And, you know, as you can, you know, long story short on this side of it anyways, uh, the next four years I tried moderation, every angle on moderation on weekends, only no alcohol at the house, only if I go out, uh, you know, or a certain type of alcohol only, right? All these different things, only local beer, because then at least I'm supporting local, like all these justifications that with my, as I had gotten older and wiser, the justifications were just a little bit older and wiser, but they were still the, you know, it's the same voice, right? The addict voice. And so finally, uh, leading up to my current sobriety state, what happened is my dad actually passed away a few days before Christmas, 2018. And he's 66, which to me is tragically young for today's day and age. That's really not young. It's not old at all. Right. And it was, it was like his, his lifestyle, caught up to him. And, um, he'd been retired a year. Right. And, and, uh, you know, it was, I knew I was on that path and I was 37 at that time. That was 29, 2018, uh, his, uh, fest or festival, uh, what would be celebration of life was April 8th, uh, 2019, And so I was driving back home. I'm in Edmonton, which is about eight hours directly east of Prince George. And right in between Prince George and Edmonton is a beautiful uh, Canadian Rocky Mountain town called Jasper, one of my favorite places on earth. I spent a lot of great times with my dad there, uh, just again, because it was halfway between both where we were living. And I remember driving through there and just felt completely empty. I'm driving on my way home. It came out of, it's worth noting, it came out of a really rough party weekend, like, you know, cocaine you Know all the beer, everything like it, anything that you can imagine, the greatest hits, if you will. And uh, so I was all strung out driving out there, being like, Man, what am I doing? And uh, it was the same thing, it was like as I was driving through Jasper, I got so disturbed with myself and my own behavior and what I did. put myself off into the situation. I'm here to pay respects to my dad, and that's just okay. This is what my, you know, getting the energy moving. It was really dark, really stagnant, dark energy. And I said, this is how I'm feeling and blah, blah, blah. And by the time I'd finished that conversation, it was another one of those like real big shift moments where, you know, I just, I viewed, I'm like, okay, this is it. I'm going to, I've I've got this out of my system. What am I going to do with this information that my body energy is telling me? And so what I did is I just, I, I coupled that like feeling of, disturbed, like really disturbed. And I it was a tribute to my dad and my dad's like my li- the lineage of my family. Cause my dad's dad was a big drinker. So my grandfather, my dad's dad, dad, you know, like the, all the way down the line, big, uh, big family drinkers, you know? And, uh, I was just like, you know, it's, it can, it, I can choose to stop this with me. And so that's what I did. And as a result, it was, again, it was, wasn't quite as, as powerful as that first AA meeting I went to, but it was very profound Uh, that I had this like shift and the rest of the drive, I felt like a completely different person. Right. And I was definitely, um, you know, focused on what I'm going to do as opposed to how I'm feeling. Okay. What am I going to do with this energy?
0: Yep. I can totally relate. Uh, there's a couple of things that you said there I can relate to. First of all, you know, that first meeting. And I, I think one of the things that I noticed that surprised me as well was the levity in the room, the people that were laughing, And the hope that I got from that, because I was at, you know, the bottom of my life, I couldn't imagine anything being worse than where I was at that time. And here, these people were laughing and smiling, and they shared their stories with me. And I guess through their laughter, they gave me hope, because I could see from their stories that they understood where I had come from. And yet they could laugh about it because it was something for them that was in the past. So, you know, that, that was really, you know, they don't even do that on purpose, but man, that laughter and levity and lightness is so helpful for, for anybody that's, you know, in that situation. And, and, and it's what the, the thing, the thing that's so unique about AA or probably really any recovery group is that you might have that lightness, but at the same time, there's something deeply serious that we're dealing with at the very same time. So it's very interesting, but what you said about your father's death also um, came, hit me pretty close to home. So for me, I was, a, I was sober for 10 years. So by the time I'm 35, my father died at the age of 64, and it was a very sudden wow. death. So around mm-hmm. the same age as you were, my father about the same age as yeah. your father was. Wow. Now, what his death did to me is it kind of woke me up to where I was in my life realizing that I had never really pursued the dreams that I had before alcohol took those from me. I was staying sober. I was, I had a little job I was doing fine, but I really wasn't, I kind of had given up on what I thought I could be in life Mm. after his death that changed. And what happened with me, Matt is I started living less of my life in the rooms of recovery and more of my life in the world. So I go to school, I get an education, I start meeting people, I start living my life. I start setting goals, achieving goals. And it was just an amazing period of time. But it took that event, unfortunately, for me to kind of wake me up. And in my case, it was like, I looked at my father's life, who I respected. And I looked at my life. and I'm like, I haven't achieved anything compared to this guy, you know? So, so I did that and I'm not saying that I was like in perfect mental health when I was doing this, it was kind of maddening. Um, I was like on a um, rampage to get everything done in my life that I wanted done, but it was, it was also productive. And I, so I understand that shift you're talking about when your father died, there's something really, um, I don't know, there's something very special about that. I think when you lose your father,
1: Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. That is, it's pretty uh, profound how close we were both our dads and our personal ages at the time. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. That is pretty, uh, it's one of those like synchronistic uh, moments, right? Yeah. (laughs) Obviously we were meant to talk about this, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know what? And it's, um, it is, it's, it's funny you mentioned it because it it had a similar impact on me. And I think it's like the, the coupled with the fact that I had um, sobered up, I I liken that in a lot of ways to like waking up in a sense, right? Cause I, like I had um, been fine with a certain level of happiness or consciousness, right? And And to your point is like, there was nothing wrong with what I was doing. In fact, you know, I was doing, I was successful by any marker of society's markers, right? But there was something in here that felt different after that second time when I, when I became alcohol free, this, this current one that I'm on. So, and that actually is a great segue into, uh, you know, what, um, unless there's something you want me no, to go, go back into so, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was just going to say, uh, so, you know, by that stage, um, you know, after I got about a couple of years into this alcohol free, so right before the pandemic, I would say I felt certain things were really attracting my attention. It was like the stories of people that, uh, you know, they're, they're betting on themselves or like underdog stories. I always, I mean, ever I'm not, I think everybody's a sucker for an underdog story, but like it was really emotionally like making me emotional, like starting to tear up a bit. If I'd see something that would really get me and I was like, okay, so is this telling me this is something that I need to do? And I'm like, am I on the right path here? So I had this real big, like existential crisis of like, who am I? You know, what are my values? Are these my values or are they my parents values? And I've just like worn them, you know, cause I, it's learned behavior. Have I ever fully broken off? And become my own person, or am I still sort of like, do I have these attachments? So just all these questions I never asked myself again, because of, you know, I'm you know, I'm pushing that stuff down. I'm and I, I can really relate to what you were saying too. I like this rampage of like gang energy of just like achiever. I just gotta do this after I achieve this, then I'll right. be happy. And then that doesn't happen. Right. And it's like, okay, well, I get keep going, keep going, right? And force, force, go, go, grind. And you know, that's like glorified by the society it that is, we're in it as is. well, right? So so that's what I was doing. And so again, yeah, really relate to what you said. And uh, so that was where I, and of course my answer was just work harder, was just push further, just do one more of this. And, and I, you know, that's, that's like a good level to be at is like, Instead of being like in a small story, a victim story, what's the next level up? The next level is being motivated by like, oh, I'll show you, I'm not going to be a victim. So that's kind (laughs) of where I get stuck. And that's where you get that achiever energy, or that's what I got, (laughs) right? right? So then I'm starting to kind of break through that. Okay, what's on the next side of that? And then that's kind of where like this journey I've been on the last, say, 18 months. And so what it was, was um, I ended up just taking like a six month sabbatical last summer because I turned 40. And, uh, so I was like, I'm having all these recurring things. I had this like dread when I wasn't at work. Right. And I, on my way to work, I'd have this like real big anxiety. And, uh, you know, I never, I'm not, I'm not generally an anxious person. Right. Uh, so I was like, okay, something is just not quite right here. So is this a fee? I'm just going to pursue this feeling. So I'm going to take some time off, which was challenging, you know, unto itself. The only time I'd taken any time of time off was that five weeks I took to sober up the first time, like 10 years ago. So I took six months off under the guise that, okay, when I go back, I'll just work on some projects I've always wanted to instead of again, when I'm 55 and I retire, then I can do this, this, and this. I'm like, no, I'm going to do some of those, you know, art, art projects, music projects, nature walks, go visit my family more than I've have been these last, you know, 15, 20 years and things of that. And just see how that feels. And I'll tell you, I got day two of my six month sabbatical. I had one of those, like, I don't know if you ever get it, but like a voice that's beyond your inner dialogue. There's like, it's like, I, th- I always picture it as like my grandpa, on my mom's side. Cause I really always looked up to him and it was like, you're not going back. It said, I was like, hmm, interesting. Where did that come from? You know? So it was like, after that I was just like super open and just really following my intuition. I went for these big nature walks and I would just like, you know, had this creative out, outpouring of just ideas. And they were like, they were just whatever. Like I was, Entrepreneurial ideas, even though I had at that time no, you know, concept or even like desire to be an entrepreneur, but just ideas, right? So it felt like the floodgates had opened up and just whew, felt great. And you know, I was getting all these like goosebumpy f- feelings of like, yeah, yes, like I'm living again, right? And then, you know, so about halfway through the six-month sabbatical, I realized that um, you know, I don't want to go back, but I'm running out of resources, specifically financial resources, right? I put enough money to get through. But there are these money stories, right? I had had this like collapse distinction of like self worth and money are the same, right? So like trying to work through those and get that separate. So it was like, and then of course imposter syndrome's coming up, going like, who, who do you think you are? Why are you better than these people? Like, why do you get to leave? You know, you this, you know, this like weird stuff, right? And then yeah, so I, I ended up I, I isolated. Okay, what did I like about my job? And by this time, I'm assistant store manager you know, 12 years in upper management, right. So, and 20 plus years experience doing the same job, like from the part-time closer to assistant store manager, all points in between, you know, meeting all these different people. I've been in like 17 different stores. So what did I like about it? Cause something wasn't something definitely didn't like about it, but there are things that I do like about it. So the main thing was the coaching and mentoring part. And I, I very much, I found that rewarding. I love collaborating with people. I love reflecting back to people, their strengths and, you know, helping them believe in themselves. So that's, what, that's, that's kind of what ca- came up for me. Uh, John is like the idea of, of becoming a coach and, 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 you know, what better way to, uh, integrate coaching is like, I, for me, I'm comfortable coaching with, uh, something that I have life experience in as deep as I've gone is as comfortable as I am coaching. Right. So if I haven't done that inner work of myself or been through something, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go be like a, I can't even think like an arborist coach decided to see trees outside because I have no experience with that. You know what I mean? I can give you some like mindset tips for that, but like, so th- that's what led to me to the whole like sobriety coach thing. So. Okay.
0: It's interesting. The it's interesting, the comparison between a uh, business and recovery coaching. I actually had an interview with someone who got into recovery coaching, who was actually a, well, he would, he would coach like, um, exact uh, big shot executives at all these companies and everything. He was an executive coach, I guess. And he was also a person in recovery and he could see the similarities that there was really no difference between helping someone find motivation to achieve their recovery goals as there was with somebody helping somebody, you know, find the motivation to achieve their, their career goals. And so in talking to him, I could see that. And then later I took, um, a coursework here about, um, to become a peer support specialist and in that, it talks about, they t- teach you about how to motivate people to achieve their goals and all this kind of stuff. And I thought, wow, this is like what they taught me at work to do as a manager. You know, it's right. so similar.
1: It is. Yeah. Again, I love, I, I'm I'm really enjoying uh, talking with you because your summaries are great uh, to bring on the next subject. And yeah, we're very much on the same page that way. A hundred percent because there is. And that's what the, the beautiful part about coaching is like the certifications that I've taken Yes, I've done a recovery coach certification, but the actual uh, coaching certification that I took is called Enlifted, and I'm level two for that. And it's all about it. It's I, you can apply that literally to any genre in a lot of ways. It is that mindset coaching, and yeah, you're, you're right. There is so many similarities because with recovery and sobriety, you're going to have you're going to be um, you know faced with uh, conf- um, you know limiting beliefs about yourself. Uh, there is going to be that, that like self doubt that you have to work through. There's going to be like shame and, you know, some of these like more stagnant emotions that can be challenging that it's nice to just have somebody that can encourage you to work through them. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. There's tons of parallels, uh, you know, between pretty much any genre, uh, and then, you know, using this coaching style with that. So, um, and then just the fact that I have my own personal experience to dip into and go, Hey, you know, just a story that may, you know, resonate with you. This is how I dealt with this, not saying that that's advice or you have to do it that way, but I've been through that. So as a result, I can really empathize and resonate with somebody on a very deep level because of what I've gone right. through in my life. Experience.
0: Well, I really like the trend of a uh, peer specialist, um, working with uh, treatment teams. I like the trend of recovery coaches, The the thing about it that's so helpful, there's a couple of things, but one of the things that you mentioned is you asked yourself what your values are. What do you value in your life? And I never asked myself that when I stopped drinking. And during that time when I was drinking, I never lived up to my values. I and and when I stopped drinking, I never asked myself that question. Well, what do I really value? What do I want out of my sobriety? What is recovery gonna be? And I think that's where a coach comes in handy because it helps you. It would help a person understand that, okay, yes, my life is a mess. I've been drinking, but who am I? Who do I want to be? What goals do I want out of my recovery? And I think that's what a coach will help a person discover and 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 help them, you know, break any obstacles that get in their way of of getting to where they want to be. Or that person wants to
1: hundred percent. Great. Yeah. Great comments. So yeah, absolutely. One of the first things that I do, even on the discovery call is, you know, uh, speaking of core values, beliefs, and uh, because I, let's face it, they're going to change quite drastically once you become alcohol free from mine before I might, I might've said they were one thing, but man, they, I was not being congruent with them whatsoever. Right. There was a lot of like, if I really looked at it, there's probably a lot of like, getting over on people, lying so I could drink in, in secret, you know, right? So coming out of that, absolutely. That's like, that's step one. And I love that you said that. Uh, step two for me is, is really addressing where you are stuck. I don't want to get into goal setting per se until we address perhaps the why, right? Why were you drinking in the first place? Dealing with some really traumatic stories, airing them out, reframing them. And then from there, taking that stuck energy after it's been aired out, by the law of conservation of energy, that energy is still there. So it's got to go somewhere. So where are we, what are we g- going to do with that? Now it's time to set some goals. I don't want to necessarily set any goals until we have that, uh, you know, that stuck energy address, That makes dark absolute energy, sense. Right?
0: Otherwise it'd be really frustrating if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 100%.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, I love it, man. I'm really enjoying this conversation. Yeah.
0: So anyway, so uh, that's, so that, that's how you got into recovery coaching and um, you're doing that now. Sounds like you, you're doing pretty well with that. Uh, And, and um, that's looking forward to seeing how uh, that develops. But along with that, is this when you got into sound therapy and can you tell me what sound therapy is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. So yeah, exactly. So the last I'd say, okay, so I went back to work for four months quickly just to, um, you know what, see, initially I was going to do some overlap between my previous career and this coaching career. And then I found that the worlds, everything that I'd done over the last six months to try and integrate it into my old world was very, very challenging. It was like the new mat, you know, with the best intentions, trying to like shoehorn back into this old, you know, and it wasn't going to work. So I ended up uh, pulling the plug uh this past january the end of january and just doing full time on the coaching so part of the coaching was uh realizing okay i've been a musician my whole life so it's been you know 20 plus years of uh performing in indie rock band right and again i mentioned the growing up in child of the 90s really liking these darker bands right like uh, the subject matter when i'm an angry 25 year old it was great i'm not angry anymore i'm trying not to be angry don't get me wrong. i'm not perfect but um so I I started and we were kind of talking about before we started this show here, our changes of musical taste as we've grown, grown up. And so I found that I was very much listening to what would be called like more new age music, like meditation music, guided breath work, like the Wim Hof music uh, for the, his breath work is amazing. Instrumental, right? So when I'm working at home and developing different things for my course, a lot of instrumental, like classical, so, you know, longer form uh, music without words uh, other than if it was guided meditation so i'm like okay well certainly with my musical you know prowess <laughs> for lack of a better term i can pivot into doing what's called it's like sound therapy or sound healing so i'll give a, a little without getting too far in the weeds i'll try and give like an overview of what it is so the way that i what i focus on is um so there's different, uh, yeah, I mean, are you familiar with like the, the energy centers of the body, like the chakras? Um, you-
0: I've heard of them, but I'm not that familiar with them.
1: <laughs> okay. And you know, what, and just in case I like, you know, some people might not be uh, super into this. I'll just give a brief overview. So there's seven energy centers and it's very like tied into like yoga and such uh, things like that. It's easy to, to look up. If anybody, if this is interesting to anybody there, you can go down the whole rabbit hole, but I'll give you the basics. So seven different uh, energy centers, like starting from your root uh, there'll be sacral, uh, solar plexus, heart, uh, throat, third eye, and then your crown chakra. So you have seven energy centers and each, so the idea is the each energy center has a, I'm going to fly in here, uh, has like a frequency, a specific whole tone frequency. So here it sounds like a boo, that's like the whole tone, right? And that will actually resonate with whatever, like, you know, whatever, say if it's the heart chakra, you find that the particular frequency that will resonate with that. And what's going to do is just like, if you're just doing some breathing on it, you can listen to just the whole tone itself. And it, it's a little bit, it gets a little bit boring, a little bit grating just to hear like a, the whole time, but it, it is very effective. And 528 Hertz specifically, which is the solar plexus chakra is amazing. Like it's, it's actually got a lot of scientific you know, for what it does to the vibrations of the human body as, as your listeners and yourself probably know, like we are like vibratory beings, right? Like the DNA, everything in our body is, is vibrating. So if you can pick this certain frequency that's been known to resonate with that energy center, it can help with healing. If there's like a blockage there, you know, so each center, each energy center will have, um, say for example, if you are, Like for me, I was doing a lot of people pleasing, right? Growing up, that was just a pattern. As I had mentioned, the chameleon side of of like socializing, learning how to socialize in high school. So as a result, I felt very sort of top heavy, right? I was always like meeting people and harmonizing with them and trying to like match their energy. So I wasn't very rooted necessarily. So my root chakra would be one that I would target. So, you know, finding like uh, it's 396 Hertz. So that's like, it just happens to be a tone. That would be, and then so the tone actually represents a uh, note on the piano. So, uh, 396 hertz, if the piano is tuned, uh, yeah, I won't go too okay, too nerdy about this, but so it's the note is G, for example, on the piano. So you hit G, that is the same as the uh, the 396 hertz. So, then knowing that it's in the key of G, I can compose a music musical arrangement over that whole tone. So the whole tones in the background, so it's got that healing frequency, but that's layered over top. Uh, you know, over top, i will have some like nature sounds. I'll have some like piano or some guitar and just make it nice and relaxing and a little bit easier and more digestible to the ears than just hearing up oh, for 20 minutes. Right. So that's the whole idea. And, um, yeah, from there you can do, I, I have a, a breath work certification as well as, um, very simple. And it's like, I, so I incorporate that into it as well, where you do a guided breathwork track over, um, you know, some of this, like these, uh, like the sound healing with the frequency and the the composition that I do over top of that. Like I say, adding uh, nature sounds is just a natural, um, you know, relaxing modality for, for listeners as well. So yeah, it's just, you know, I I, I do have a lot of, uh, you know, um, interest and experience in audio engineering and putting together music from being in a rock band. So it was just a real natural, easy transition for me to get into sound therapy. And, uh, you know, using that with my clients as well has been just another dimension of, uh, you know, what I can you bring to, say, a coaching call, right? And we usually do a little bit of breath work to start a, a call, right? Just so we can both kind of like, you know, it just lower, say, if somebody's joining me right after they just got off work or something, they're kind of all, I'm like, okay, well, let's do like three minutes of the resonant frequency breathing. And I'll play some of the sound therapy and we'll breathe together. And then it just feels like we're kind of getting on the same page, right? Like, you know, just so we're both kind of drop into it and uh, okay. So now your blood pressure's down, we're relaxed. Okay. Let's talk about what's going on. Then we'll verbally check in, right? So it's just a matter of getting that energy just you know, more relaxed and you're breathing better because a lot of times, you know, people are have that breath sort of trapped up in their chest, right? Myself included. Unless I'm really aware of my breath, my breathing patterns, I do a lot of chest breathing. Uh, again, getting back to like that energy of what we're talking about, the achiever energy basically puts you in this like mild stress response where you're just like, okay, what's next? All right, you know, it's like this uh, is anxiety and stress to make to, to and that's what your that's what fuels this achiever, right? So getting out of that. having some nice big abdomen breaths you know getting back into the parasympathetic nervous system right and just and then from that space okay let's talk let's do a check-in how are you feeling today let's talk about you know emotional quality right and it's just it's yeah it's a for me it's i i feel very confident with it having these tools because at this point at that point like it's, it's doing so much work for me. You know, I, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's been very effective. Sounds so. super
0: interesting. I, um, I, I love music and I've been using music here recently just to help me relax. Actually, you know, I use it at work. I work from home. So I, I listen to some jazz music that's in the playing lightly in the background. Kind of helps me relax and focus and, um, not worry about what's going on in the world. And, um, I remember one night, um, it's probably like four o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning or some damn thing. And I'm, I'm on YouTube and for some reason, the algorithm was leading me to music that will help you sleep or sounds that will help you sleep and be nature sounds and all this kind of stuff. So I see, I see real value um, in that. Um, but obviously, I think I would get more out of it with someone who knows what they're doing and, and actually has some, some um, sounds out there that, that could be used. I'll, ch- I'll definitely check that out. I think that that would be very valuable and especially to get you kind of calmed down before you can kind of really realize, okay, what, what do I want to deal with right now? Anyway?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. That's huge, huge for me. And I, I'll send you uh, some links and just see if you wanted to check out the the work that I've done and see if it resonates with you. But yeah, that's, that is, that's absolutely the thing. Right. It's like, um, you know, I call it like tuning in, right. Tuning into each other, tuning into just this. Okay. You know it's instead of a there's enough like mental chatter as it is so to be able to just sort of encourage the person to you drop into like okay how you're feeling like into like that space of like a body scan how am i actually doing today instead of like somebody asking you how are you doing you just say the you know the usual oh good no how are you actually doing like where are your emotions right now like what would you what would that emotion be saying to you you know and, you know, by doing that, like the, the sound therapy and the breath work right off the bat, it really opens that up and gets that dialogue a lot more authentic, I find, right? It's just like, and yeah, so that's, and that's what it's all about at the end of the day, right?
0: So tell me about the recovery roadmap, if you can give us an overview of that and how you have had come up with it and what you do with it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Um, so yeah, it's like a, it's a program I've created, like an online uh, sobriety accountability recovery program, we'll, we'll call it. So the all-in-one, I suppose. Um, yeah, so I, you know, initially, I had done a course on, you know, why, uh, like creative, basically like an art therapy, uh, course, why it's so important and why it's a big part of like a health and wellness regime. Like we're always talking about like, um, you know, like nutrition and exercise. And I always thought that as a, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, how important music was in music therapy, especially when I was a teenager in far as expressing things inside of me that I otherwise, uh, had a hard time articulating. So having a course I had designed, uh, initially to do that and then realizing, okay, now I know how to do the video editing. It was like this whole like learning curve that I had gone through a bunch of stuff I would never done before laying out a course, blah, 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 So I'm like, okay, well, hmm, there doesn't seem to be too many like recovery courses, right? That I, that I had seen anyways. Uh, so I, th- I took that knowledge and know-how and then just took it into, okay, well, maybe I'll make an online, you know, 30 day recovery course where each module is based on, you know, a different part of like your hero's journey through sobriety or recovery. Right. So, uh, the initial, it's kind of like, I call it the sobriety toolkit where you go, okay. Uh, re- talking about relapses, talking about uh, managing withdrawals, talking about, um, you know the questions that come up in your head like oh i can never drink again like just reframing and just that like that initial awkwardity of that first 30 days of uh, of sobriety or recovery the next module is kind of like l- looking inwards right Um, you know uh checking out your ego okay what is it, your relationship with your ego things like that nature and then module 3 is like inner dialogue upgrades. so like what kind of words what is your inner dialogue what how do you speak to yourself how do you speak to other people are you in like a victim story, like getting into that sort of thing. Right. And, you know, progressing as you go and then getting into a lot of, um, more physical and yet spiritual things like, uh, introducing like Tai Chi and, uh, yin yoga and just the breath work and just low impact stuff that anybody can do with, you don't need a bunch of expensive exercise gear or anything like that. Right. And, and, uh, just getting the body, mind, spirit, all aligned and really, uh, having to look at yourself. And then by the end, it's like, okay, I know all this stuff. So how can I integrate this into my everyday life? So that's, I view it as sort of like the hero's journey through, uh, you know, that initial stage of, uh, of, of recovery the first 30 days. So that's what I did. I did a dry July challenge. That was the first group I had run. So a couple months ago, and it was six people that went through amazing people and, um, so there was people that were like early sobriety too. I had a gentleman that was 31 years in and just, you know, something different, right? It's like 31 years of doing this routine. And he liked the, um, you know, it kind of like a little pattern disruption, right? Like, okay, well, it's, I haven't done a 30 day challenge in forever. I'm going to do it. So he did and he enjoyed it. He got a lot out of it as well. And it was cool. So basically what we do is we got a, a weekly group call um, that's based on like the content of the week, like the module that they were working on. Uh, there's two one on one coaching calls with me throughout. They can pick whatever times work for them whenever something's coming up. Uh, we do a Sunday activity day, which is like I mentioned, the yin yoga. Uh, there was a sound journey that I did, and it's a live call where we have like either, either a guest, uh, you know, yoga instructor, or somebody comes on and leads us through it, right? So, really cool that way. Um, and then, all, of course, the course, as I mentioned, um, also, what, oh yeah. The, uh, so we have a private Facebook group where everybody does a uh, daily check-in and that, all that is, is like, it's a, uh, yeah, just a um, you know, awareness exercise. So you go, Hey, uh, you know, I'm Matt, I'm feeling this today. Body scan wise. I feel a little bit tense in my stomach. Uh, you know, I had a, whatever altercation at work last night, I'm still processing it. Just, uh, an idea of like getting comfortable about being vulnerable in front of the camera, sharing it with other people, commenting on each other's. And that went actually really well. Everybody was like super committed to that. And we had some really great, uh, interactions and dialogue. Nobody knew each other beforehand and safe to say they're all quite good friends now. And it's really cool to see. Uh, so just that community part. And then the final component of the 30 day thing, 30 day challenge Was uh, picking uh, so three things. So you have a body, mind, spirit, as I mentioned. So, for example, for me, I did body. I did a it's ten minutes, so a thirty minute commitment. So ten minutes for each subject. So ten minutes of running, I did. uh, Ten minutes of meditation, and then ten minutes of reading out loud. So that was my body, mind, spirit. And you do that, and then you usually do your check in. So it's just uh, you know, it's just like this thirty day challenge to also do something that starts giving you that like light bulb moment of things beyond your ro- recovery or sobriety and challenging you to, do, to pick up something that um, you've been meaning to do, but haven't done yet. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it was just a wonderful experience and it's really um, immersive as you can imagine. Cause yeah, there is a daily accountable, you have to do your check-in you have to do your 30, thrive 30 uh, you know, there's a video to watch. And so it's not too, too much where it's just like, like this is whoa, like a lot. You can easily integrate it in, into your everyday life. Right. And by the same token, it was, uh, yeah, it was really cool. By the end, I, uh, I felt, um, yeah, like it was very much a team, like a, a very, uh, very cool experience. I actually kind of missed, I, I think we all had chimed in, you know, the, in the week afterwards, like, oh, I kind of missed doing the check-ins like you, you get used to it. So yeah, that's the, uh, yeah. Recovery roadmap, um, in a, in a nutshell.
0: Okay. So now let's uh, go into your podcast and can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Uh, so, beyond recovery, and I definitely I'll, I'll have you on. I'd love to have you on as a guest. And yeah, so I started that back in April as well when I committed to uh, doing the recovery coaching. So that was my first. Uh, I had done podcasting for years beforehand, but it was like music podcasts, different other ones. So this was the first time I had done the um, you know the recovery podcast. So and that's what it was. So I've just basically, um, man, Instagram is an amazing.
0: I have still not gotten into Instagram. I, I, I do have an Instagram account, but I don't know quite what to do with it. <laughs> I post pictures on there of my podcast episodes. <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, that works. That works. If you uh, if you just go in the search engine and just type in like sober, you're going to, it's like there's like thousands of people in there that are all living that proud, you know, pr- you know, loud and proud, recovering out loud, you know, all that stuff, right? So it's, yeah, it's been amazing. And I've met some, tremendous people everybody that went through that course uh, the dry july was from instagram and uh yeah it's just met some great great people and it's uh it's really cool to watch everybody do it so that's basically uh, my entire podcast has come from like being on instagram <laughs> to be honest and just meeting people isn't that and, interesting uh, yeah the, yeah, you know, the
0: podcast is. um podcasting recovery podcasting i have found is a great way to have a community or or to do something with a community you might already have. So for me, I had a kind of a similar experience. So I was involved in uh, kind of this um, uh, group that we were all atheists and we were in AA and we didn't like the way that a lot of the AA stuff was. So we all kind of got together and we kind of put together this like secular way of dealing with AA. And so I had this, I had this little core group that was online. We were all connecting online. And so I did a podcast. And these, these people were my first listeners, you know, and they're still following me to this day, you know? So, and then over time I thought, okay, I'm going to, I want this podcast to be a community too. So I do a lot of of what you're doing a Facebook group. I have like um, one-on-one meetings like you do. And I also have like a Tuesday night meeting for listeners where we will either have a guest from a previous episode on or we will um, play a past episode and use that as a basis of discussion but i find that the podcast and the and the community and the recovery all go together really really well
1: Oh, they sure do yeah absolutely and you know i can see um you know from the previous podcasting that i had done like the music podcast and all that very clicky as is you know, a lot of the music scenes whereas the recovery thing whole oh, it's so everybody's so giving right and it's just uh you know, I, I can be on your show and it, you're not going to be like, Hey, don't talk about this because yeah, that's going to no you competition. I mean? <laughs> right. It, in fact, it's like the exact opposite, exactly, which is a beautiful yeah. thing. Everybody's supporting each other, you know, and it's everybody's so giving and man, the stories of people recovery always so vulnerable, so authentic, great. Right? And so it's, yeah, it's just wonderful. Yeah. I'd love to hear what you're doing there as well. That's super cool. And yeah, you know, it's just, um, I, for me, it, it added a whole nother dimension and layer to my own recovery and sobriety. Cause now I've put it out there before I was pretty uh, secretive about who I told, because there was still a bit of shame. And when I was working my old job, I didn't want to get it out there because i just felt like there'd be so much gossip. And I, I guess for whatever reason, I, I, there was part of me is that's a projection on my right. point. Of course, no, I get
0: it's, it. It took me a long time before I was, uh, wanted to do that, to put myself out there and, and I noticed you have a you have a really nice YouTube channel too, so you're out there publicly, and I
1: am. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. No going back now. No, not that I would either. And, you know, I, I'm quite happy with it, and it was very freeing because before I felt like there was two me's. Right, there's like the 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 true me, and then there's like the work persona that I'm like, I'm not saying the full, my full truth and all yeah, that, you know, same you always here. hear about people say, same that. here. Yeah. So yeah. You I, really, haven't, yeah. I haven't
0: quite uh, bridged that completely, but I'm making little baby steps, you know, but, but I like having myself out there, you know, there I am on YouTube. Anyone who wants to Google me can find me. And so be it. I'm okay with that, but it took me a while to get there, but I'm not quite at the point where I'm that open at in the workplace at large i am with a select group of people at work but not at large and um the company i work for is a huge company and they they do encourage people with you know um various you know uh, walks of life to kind of um share their stories you know so that so that we can appreciate the diversity of the um pool of employees that we have. I mean, there's a lot of diversity and I have yet to see anybody in recovery, um, come up. And I've, I've often thought, you know, well, maybe I could write something for the group internet and about, about recovery. And I always think about September being the time to do that because it's recovery month, you know, and of course I never do it, but it's always in the back of my mind who knows what I'll do on these days, but it would be that, that I, I like the idea though, that so many people are more open about their recovery because, the, the the thing is, you know, it's bad enough that there's a stigma about being an addict or an alcoholic, but if there's a stigma about being in recovery, that has got to be unacceptable. Right. And I felt like stigmatized simply because I was a person in recovery and that's, that's not, no, no, that's not healthy. And that's, that's what I think the, the, the good thing is about more people coming out about their recovery is it's like. This is good. You know, this is this is good to be in recovery. This is basically what people, any human being who's alive should be doing, is growing and changing throughout their life. That's what we do in recovery.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. And you think of, it, like, if I think of any other form of recovery, like a sports athlete, I mean, they're not going to be like, well, this guy is, like, coming back from a leg injury. I know, like, I know. Get away from, you know what I mean? It's, like, so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's the obvious one. But even somebody that's recovering from, like, kids, cancer treatment yeah. you're not going to ostracize them look at no. he's bald he had chemo he? <laughs> no. you know what i mean like it's just nonsense so yeah. you know i totally agree with you it's like yeah. you know when you when you compare it to anything else like you know why you know yeah for sure no i agree with you on that one so any final thoughts as we wrap things up yeah you know what it's and it's worth mentioning because it is a, a theme on on both sides of your, your yours and myself uh you know the most important thing if anybody's listening to this that's kind of you know sober curious or uh you know having issues with it or just kind of having some relapses or blips along the way. You know, community is connection is by my estimation the most important thing here. You know, it's a uh, when it's when I when I isolated myself, that's when I'd get myself into problems. When I felt separate from everybody, that's when I had problems. When I felt that I had to drink in private or I couldn't say my story yet, and I that's when I would go down that road and attract more of that energy. So if you can get yourself out there, And even an online community, as we've mentioned, uh, you know, John, you have yours. I have mine as well. There's Instagram. There's even Reddit. If you want to be super, you know, anonymous and just have like a Reddit character, but still just get your stuff out there. There's a wonderful sobriety community on there. Just get connected and realize you hit the nail on the head when you said when you're in a room, and you can have this like shameful story and share it. And then it's reflected back to you with some laughter and be like, Hey, you know, that was my Tuesday morning. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, And then the shame just gets into laughter and you can resolve, like dissolve that shame and convert it into like a release, whether it's crying or laughing. It's amazing. And you're, only get I, I dare say you're only going to get that from a connection a community connection so that's my my final uh, piece of advice <laughs> i
0: love it well thank you matt i really enjoyed thank the conversation you. thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh, i'll be sure to post links to your website and all of your social media and your link tree page is where people can find out every way to get a hold of you so thank you so much it's been a lot of fun yeah thanks
1: john i really appreciate it it was a great conversation today. thank you